This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today, two more based SCOTUS rulings have dropped, and insiders say Biden is consumed by the Hunter scandal, and Michigan passes a bill that could fine or imprison you for using the wrong pronouns. And they said it would never happen in America. We've got all of that and more coming up, and it all starts right now. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. Happy Friday. I am Sarah Gonzalez. And today, the Supreme Court wrapped up the week by delivering more significant blows to the Biden regime's radical left-wing agenda. Just a day after handing down their ruling deeming affirmative action college admissions programs unconstitutional, the courts ruled on two other significant issues, student loan debt forgiveness and free speech. Here to break down the cases, the rulings, what they mean, a man who always raises the IQ points on the show. This is legal scholar, attorney, senior editor-at-large for Newsweek and host of The Josh Hammer Show. Josh Hammer, thank you for being here. Uh, Lord knows I can't explain all this by myself. Sorry, you're way too kind as always, but it's a pleasure. And today's a very happy day, obviously. So it's doubly a pleasure. It is. It is. So, OK, so I want to I want to get into all of this with you. So let's start with um, the student loan debt forgiveness. Tell us about tell us about the, the case. Tell us about the 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 rule, the decision um, and, and what kind of stands out to you about it. So there were two separate student loan cases. There was one where there were individual plaintiffs who were suing the Biden administration. And then there was a coalition of states, namely Nebraska and Missouri, which were suing the Biden administration. The question all along when it came to this case was whether they would even reach the merits in order to kind of reach the substantive statutory or constitutional merits of a case. You first need to establish standing. And th this is kind of the debate all along in kind of legal nerd circles as, as to whether the individuals or the states would be able to demonstrate that they had a concrete injury and that the court would stand fit then to redress that injury with a judgment. So it was actually a unanimous holding against standing for the individual plaintiff. So individuals cannot sue the Biden administration on these grounds. But the states, they said, do have standing. So they got to the merits and the merits was a good outcome. They said by a six to three ruling, it was a strong ruling by Chief Justice Roberts. They said that the states uh, successfully have shown that the HEROES Act, the statute that the Biden administration purported to rely upon for this unilateral student loan forgiveness initiative, does not give the president the authority to do that. So the court is very clear, actually, Sarah, they're very clear to say that, you know, Congress can do this. Congress actually does have the authority to do this. Congress has the power of the purse and all of that. But this was a huge reach, and they do so on the on the so-called major questions doctrine, which basically means that Congress has to very, very, very specifically clarify when it delegates some power to the executive branch. Uh, Justice Anthony Scalia many years ago basically had this famous line where he said, quote, Congress does not hide elephants in mouse holes. And this was an elephant in a mouse hole. They found a very obscure statutory provision in the HEROES Act, and they tried to shove through this massive sweeping economic plan. The court today in a very solid separation of powers ruling says, no, that's not how it works. You can't actually do that. 
So with this in particular and so many other things that the Biden administration has done, um, you got to imagine that they really never thought that this would hold, right? Like they looked at this and they knew. I mean, you had Nancy Pelosi um, before they even tried this explicitly saying that Joe Biden didn't have the ability or the power to do that. Only Congress could do it. I think we have that clip. Let's uh, let's let's flash back to when Nancy Pelosi was still uh, kicking it in the House. Watch. People think that the president of the United States, is this more on the subject than you ever want to know? Will you let me know? People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. That has to be an act of Congress. Yes. And at least Nancy was maybe she wasn't drunk that day because she was at least right there. And so, you know, that the Democrats know that Um, there's no way that they thought that they had any standing to do this. Right. I mean, do you know what it reminds me of, Sarah? There was actually a very similar thing that happened during the Obama administration. So famously, when Obama had the first of his two executive amnesties, he had the DACA amnesty in 2012, mm. then DAPA two years later in 2014. You know, there was this whole stream of quotes of Barack Obama very clearly telling reporters, interviewers in an interview that he did not have the authority. He wanted to grant amnesty. He wanted to legalize the illegal alien population here, but he did not have the unilateral authority to do that. Sure enough, he did anyway. And same thing happened. I mean, DACA was up and down the courts, uh, you know, so it was basically the exact same thing. So the point here is that the Democrats have this weird idea that they should just do things and then kind of let the courts, you know, settle it or figure it out. But that's actually not how it works. That's not how constitutional interpretation works. Constitutional interpretation is not like the sole province of Article Three of the judicial branch. The Congress is supposed to be interpreting the Constitution. You know, I remember back to law school, Sarah. I remember I took this class called Constitution in Congress, where we poured over congressional records from the first and second Congresses in the 1790s, James Madison, all those guys. They were debating legal issues like the constitutionality of stuff just as much as the actual stuff, the substance itself. So Congress is supposed to be doing these debates. And so was the executive branch. But we have this modern idea. Uh, George W. Bush did this to an extent as well, but definitely Presidents Obama and Biden. They had this idea of just do it, throw some mud at the wall, see what sticks, and we'll all kind of settle it out. But ideally speaking, that's not how it works. We're all supposed to interpret the Constitution, each branch for itself. Yeah. Um, So I want to get to the other big decision that dropped today regarding free speech. So this was um, this was a again, fill fill in the holes for me, if you will. But this was the case with the graphic designer, web designer who um, it just it blows my mind that these you know, you get these uh, the LGBT community who wants to force someone who doesn't believe in what they're doing to just like do it anyway. And it A, seems odd because I don't know why you'd want to give your money uh, to someone who doesn't agree with what you're doing. But for some reason, they keep trying to jam it down everyone's throat. So tell us about that one. Well, I'll tell you off the topic what the reason is as to why they're doing this. I mean, poor Jack Phillips, who was the Masterpiece Mm. Cake Shop owner who was litigated for refusing to bake a a cake for a same-sex wedding. I mean, he won in a very narrow ruling on the Supreme Court back in 2018. And sure enough, he found himself back in state court litigation soon thereafter when this time it was like a transgender person who was trying to have him make like a transgender cake. So they're doing that because, Sarah, as you know, our old friend Eric Erickson once said, you will be made to care. You will be made to bend the knee that simply kind of 
kind of agreeing to disagree. Tolerance is only a one way arrow for the left, unless you actually not just agree with them, but legitimize them and put them on an altar. Unless you go that far, then you are a sexist, bigot, racist, homophobe, and you are basically not fit for polite society. So that is that is kind of the woke intersectional mindset in a nutshell. And I think that is why these plaintiffs keep on bringing these ridiculous lawsuits. Now, the good news is that this case today, this 303 creative case out of Colorado, is finally a good, genuine kind of fairly sweeping holding. Now, there's probably some wiggle room for for miscreants to kind of try to do this whole shtick over and over again that they've been doing for a decade now. But it's it's much limited. So it's a 6-3 ruling from Justice Neil Gorsuch. Gorsuch is actually a native Coloradan himself. So he's opining here on his native state. This case was out of the state of Colorado. And it's a constitutional holding. So the Masterpiece Cake Shop is a very narrow kind of procedural holding. It was a 7-2 decision back in 2018. This is a solid First Amendment constitutional holding, basically saying that Lori Smith, the Christian website designer for weddings in this case, cannot be compelled to produce speech that violates her conscience or whatnot. So it's a good holding. There is some tiny wiggle room around pages 21 to 22 of the opinion, I think, for some far left legal activists to kind of challenge around the edges here. But it's a it's, it's a good ruling. It's frankly better than I expected for this case. So um, this Will this force Colorado then to change their law? Because didn't they they amended their law after the Jack Phillips case, if I'm recalling correctly, um, to try to strengthen, you know, uh, the LGBT community's ability to force this type of thing. So does that mean that their law is their entire law is unconstitutional? No, probably not. So what it will mean is that the enforcement of the law or the regulation as it applies to certain fact-specific actors will, will not be applicable. So you basically can't apply that then for a, for a certain form of compelled speech. But but it, it is thorny. Um, you know, it, it is thorny. Now, you know, unfortunately, the way that the courts operate, it, it's not like the Supreme Court is able to kind of just kind of erase a statute or erase a code. Um, you know, I actually, your state of Texas is actually a good example. So back in 2003, in a case called Lawrence versus Texas, that was the first time that the Supreme Court actually constitutionalized under the 14th Amendment, uh, same-sex intersexual relations, sodomy and so forth. But if I'm not mistaken, that statute's actually still on the books in Texas. They've never formally repealed it. So that's not really quite how it works. It just means that the statute is actually not enforceable. So back in Colorado, it just won't be enforceable when it applies to facts like this Christian website designer moving forward. Okay. All right. Um, And then let me, while you're here, I want to get your take. I mean, we talked about it um, on the program yesterday, but I want to get your take on the the ruling yesterday on uh, affirmative action with Harvard and UNC. Yeah. So this is the marquee case. I mean, to me, this was the biggest case of the term, uh, probably by far. I mean, you know, this case of the Colorado is definitely a big case, too. But, you know, Sarah, when I was kind of coming up through the ranks of kind of the the conservative legal movement, affirmative action was one of the big cases. I mean, overturning Roe versus Wade and abortion was probably the the biggest white whale of all. But after that, affirmative action overdoing this nonsense of the Bakke case out of University of California from 1978, the Grutter case from University of Michigan 2003. This has been a white whale of right of center legal eagles for a very long time. 
And, you know, I, I was cautiously optimistic about this case for the sole reason that it's actually a very rare issue where the chief justice, John Roberts, is actually consistent on. He has this, he had this famous line back in a 2007 case called Parents Involved, where he famously wrote, quote, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. It's actually a very rare issue, maybe the only issue where John Roberts has been consistent on. So I was cautiously optimistic the whole time. But honestly, Sarah, the holding even surprised me. I mean, it is a good holding. This is a strong holding. They could have kind of gone the statutory Title VI route. They decided to go straight 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. They said that all this nonsense, all of this sordid business of divvying us up by race and race conscious practices, it's all garbage. It all offends our colorblind constitution. It, it really was honestly a tremendous triumph for the conservative legal movement. So I, um, I, I, I totally agree, um, and I was so happy to finally uh, see a, a ruling on that. But because it's it's something that for so long everyone, I mean, I'm not an attorney and really smart like you, but case in point, even I could look at that and go, that's not, you can't do that. Like that, that's not constitutional. That shouldn't be allowed. So it was nice to to put it to bed. But then you have, um, you know, I, I read that Harvard. Um, was already had already come out and said, yeah, we're going to try to find a workaround. Are how are are, are they going to be able to find some other way to do that? Yeah, so that's the million dollar question, right? I, and that's what some of us are kind of still kind of Monday morning quarterbacking today. So, you know. Roberts does have this one line in the majority opinion where he basically it's very it's very cheeky. It's kind of tongue in cheek. He says, oh, the dissenters basically say that you can kind of just get around this by writing a nice racial themed essay. And then he says, no, that's actually not how it works. I mean, he, he has this kind of delicious parenthetical where he says in parentheses, you know, generally speaking, a dissenting opinion is not the best legal advice for how to follow a, a majority opinion. So it was, it, it was rare kind of, you know, like fiery stuff from the chief. We're not normally used to that kind of language. Okay. But you know, admissions officers will try to get around this. But one thing that I think will dissuade them from doing so is that it, unless I'm grossly mistaken, you know, I think these these officers will be personally liable. They will be personally liable in a court of law. They can be sued personally in their own personal capacity for monetary damages if they are shown to be making kind of race based admissions decisions. And the reason for that is very, very simple and straightforward, which is that universities, admissions offices cannot insure their own officers, offer insurance to engage in, in, in illegal legal activity. So they will be on their own if they make that kind of activity. Some will probably try. We know how crazy some of these people are. But I, I think that fact alone will dissuade many of them. Well, Josh, I always appreciate it. I feel like next time you come on, I'm just going to put your titles just going to be like news and why it matters. Uh, SCOTUS expert, because you're <laughs> always my first call whenever something like this happens. So I appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Sarah, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks. See you next time. Um, all right. Before we go to break, we got to thank our sponsor, Jace Medical. So um, Jace Medical is there for like if all of a sudden the global medication supply chain of antibiotics just like disappeared right before our very eyes, which you may think that could never happen. Well, it could because most of the medicine that you are taking is actually manufactured in like China. So um, if anything happens, A, they're going to take care of their own needs first. B, um, we just had a little pandemic a couple years ago where we saw what could happen when an entire country who produces a lot of things for a lot of other countries just totally shuts down. You don't want that to happen with you when it comes to your medication. You really need to have a supply on hand, especially for those of you who, you know, maybe you're a mom like me and you've got a bunch of kids and you've got, uh, you know, UTIs, recurring UTIs in the family or... Uh, 
um, recurring ear infections, recurring respiratory infections. The Jace case from Jace Medical is a really great way to keep yourself prepared. It's got five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, uh, like I just mentioned, and you just need it on hand just in case for shortages, for travel, for just convenience. Because again, if, if you know your kid or you know yourself and you know you feel something coming on and you're like, I know exactly what that is and I don't have time to go to the doctor and I don't have time to go to the pharmacy, I don't have time for any of it. Make sure you're prepared with the Jace case. You can go to jacemedical.com, enter code NEWS at checkout. That is promo code NEWS over at jasemedical.com. Welcome to the program, Jakub Bujans, Police TV contributor and host of The Bottom Line. Also, back for a double dose, she decided that she liked us and she might stay for a while. We have Inez Stepman. She is host of High Noon and Claremont Fellow. Thank you for coming back. I know. It's great to be back. Long time no see. Yeah, it wasn't on the <laughs> schedule so we uh, originally, so we appreciate you taking the time. We're like, we love her. Can you come back? So thank you for being here again. Um, so I just spoke with Josh Hammer about these Supreme Court decisions that just came down this morning, the uh, student loan debt forgiveness and the um, free speech. Um, and I just, I there's just... Sometimes, look, Roe v. Wade happened, it was overturned, and I thought, I really never thought that that was going to happen. Um, these are cases that when you look at them on, on its face, you're like, I actually don't know how it even took so long to adjudicate this because it seems very common sense that these things are not unconstitutional. But I just never really fully hold out hope when it comes to the Supreme Court, namely uh, John Roberts. I'm like, I don't trust you. I don't I never know when you're actually going to be uh, constitutional or not. And so I never really was like, oh, I feel really strongly about this. Feels really good. It's a really good day. It feels really good deja vu for me because, you know, I've lived this exact week in 1994 through 1996 in South Africa with, you know, affirmative action coming in, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, calling people to the carpet. And we were on the wrong side of it then. Mm -hmm. The coin fell the wrong way. And I was sitting on, on the edge here going, how will this go? Because of guys like Robertson, honestly, even at times, at times, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, you just yeah. never know, yeah. right? Yeah. And I knew Clarence Thomas would be sound on this. Thomas and Alito yes. were like, I knew okay. he would be. As, as the, the black man in, in, in the room, he would, he would be on the right side of this. But this is a huge victory because if you trace these kind of decisions throughout the world and you go to other nations, it almost never falls this way. Didn't in London, didn't in South Africa, did not in Australia or New Zealand. They, they fall towards the side of affirmative action, which then is led by a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which swings the pendulum in an unholy direction. And the fact that Ketanji Brown is thrown into the mix just makes me happy, you know, because uh, she forgot what a woman was and she was an affirmative action hire herself. And so it's just beautiful. It's a really good week. Yeah, feels good. Yeah, I mean, these, these have been some important Supreme Court decisions. These aren't small decisions. Mm -hmm. um, the, the affirmative action regime we have been living under basically for all three of us at this table pretty much our lifetimes, right? Um, since there was a leftist activist court, uh, the Warren Court, right? Um, if we've already been basically since the 1960s and 70s living under a Supreme Court that one does weigh in 
totally inappropriately and outside their jurisdiction into cultural issues and removes them um, from the, the from democracy, right? And that's what happened with abortion in 1973, now undone. And so you have a, a court that can actually restore um, a lot of these issues to the American people, and then at the same time do their actual job, which is to enforce the constitutional limitations on what government can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Those are their two, you know, their jobs, and they were very, very aggressive outside of their actual jurisdiction, and they weren't doing what they're actually supposed to do, which mm-hmm. is to enforce some of those limits. And it's it's really important that the court has been restored in this way. Of course, the left is now very aggressively trying to delegitimize the court. Yeah. You know, big surprise. Right now they want to delegitimize the court now that they've lost the court. Right, right. Yeah, Sarah, just real quick, you have to ask yourself, though, and this, this points to the, the importance of a presidency you know, and, and the powers of a president to actually, you know, nominate Supreme Court justices and what Trump actually did. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask yourself what happened inside that group of nine over the last 18 months? Mm-hmm. And because they've ruled wrong and they have overstepped in, in much and then they got it right with, with giving Roe v. Wade and giving abortion back to the states. And it seems to be that there's some sort of a sound mind and some unity and it's, I mean, they're, they're stacking up healthy, healthy decisions here. And I'm asking myself why. Could it be that culture has pushed so far that it's so egregious that some of the things that are coming to the Supreme Court, because we don't even hear a third of the cases that actually approach the Supreme Court and the things they deal with on a daily basis, is that they are being bombarded with a high level of in- insanity that they're saying, look, we must mm-hmm. restore the ship here. This is actually our job to defend the Constitution and fight for the American people. And so this is a great moment. I expect major, major pushback. You know, you're going to hear talks of stacking the court coming out again. And you're going oh, to, yeah. that's coming. Oh, and yeah. There will be pushback on this. Well, um, so I want to I wanna talk a little bit about the, the free speech one, because I, I just think it's just so fascinating to watch the LGBT uh, community, um, just how rabid they are going after anyone who doesn't agree with their lifestyle. You know, first it was just, we just want the right to get married. And now it's like, you will make me the wedding website or I will sue the out of you. And so this was what we saw in the, uh, the, the again, Colorado. It's always happening in Colorado. 303 Creative LLC versus Elenis, um, the graphic and web design company um, and the state of Colorado. So uh, the web designer said, I'm willing to work with anyone regardless of, you know, sexual orientation, whatever, but I don't want to create a wedding website to celebrate your same-sex marriage because it goes against my religion. Um, and of course, you know, it was a 6-3 ruling and in the dissenting opinion, uh, Sonia Sotomayor said that the Constitution does not provide the right to refuse service to a disfavored group, is what she said. Uh, she said, around the country, there has been a backlash to the movement for liberty and equality for gender and sexual minorities. New forms of inclusion have been met with reactionary exclusion. This is heartbreaking. Sadly, it is also so familiar. When the civil rights and women's rights movements sought equality in public life, some public establishments refused. Some even claimed, based on sincere religious beliefs, constitutional rights to discriminate. The brave justices who once sat on this court decisively rejected those claims. So now we are supposed to believe that being a, a member of the LGBT community is, in fact, the exact same thing as uh, being black. Well, it, it, it's also, I mean, look, th- this case turns on religious liberty. I, I think there, 
There are very good reasons for that, because the First Amendment ha gives mm -hmm. special protection to religion. Uh, but I do also think that there's a bit of an island situation going on where if we think about religious liberty as an island and as sort of a sea of an increasing tyranny, mm. um, that's not the correct way to think of it. You know, the, the, the tide will eventually swamp the island. So this is very much a defensive move yeah. on the part of, part of the right. It's a necessary one, but it will never be sufficient. Um, the other thing that I found interesting about this case is uh, in the lower court versions of it that then got kicked up, to the Supreme Court, the, the lower courts actually argued that this woman was a monopoly because only she could design the, the perfect wedding website, right? She had her own aesthetic style and they were like, actually, this is a monopoly. And I find that fascinating because the same people do not recognize, for example, that, that a handful of tech companies mm -hmm. uh, making decisions about what is and isn't allowed in the digital public square is a monopoly. But yet mm -hmm. they are talking about this one small businesswoman in Colorado and saying that she's a monopoly because because no one else can design the perfect wedding website, right? She is a one-woman monopoly on, on her aesthetic product, right? right? And it's just very funny um, in, in terms of, like, balancing. There are real anti-competitive sort of collusion, cultural collusion effects between some of these very large woke corporations. That's not a monopoly. Mm -hmm. That's not denial of service, right? When, when every single major player in an industry decides they're not going to serve, for example, they're not going to hold bank accounts yeah. for Second Amendment groups, right? right? That's that's not denial of service. Right, right. But this one woman not making one website for a couple that could go to any number mm -hmm. of competitors and mm -hmm. have their business, you know, and and, and take in and, and uh, have their wedding web website produced, right? That is a monopoly, according to the lower courts on the left. So, um, I mean, I think there's something I think there's something very like ironic, but also something that should teach the right yeah. a bit about how how important it is to to fight for your beliefs and, and no matter how ridiculous the argument, because that, that is a ridiculous argument and it won the day in lower courts. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, yeah. I mean, that along with a lot of other things that you're yeah. like, wow, these people got all the way to the place they did as a, an esteemed judge and this is how they chose to rule. Yeah. Earlier, they're activists. Yeah, earlier part of your comment, I absolutely agree with. And, and last night I was in Utah and Glenn Beck, delivered a speech last night, which I think is one of the best of his, of his life. And Glenn made a point last night, and he asked, what is freedom? What is freedom? Define freedom. What is it to be an American? I'm an immigrant. What does that freedom actually mean? Does it mean you have a passport and you're an American? It actually means you're free to use the gifts God gave you as you so choose, whether the whole world is against you or not. Mm -hmm. You can have an American dream and you can carve it out, whether your family legacy or your pedigree qualifies you or not. So the gift she has to design a website is endowed to her by her creator. And what makes her an American and what makes her free is to use those gifts as she so chooses, mm -hmm. whether it's for gay, straight, lesbian or not, or deny service because it's her talent. It's her innate talent and her ability. It's like freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. To be free, to be an American is to say, if the whole world is against me, I can still have an ideal and a dream and use what God put in my hands. And I have the freedom to build a life for me and for my family. And that's what they're coming against. So the religious freedom argument is a short-sighted argument, although it is religious liberty, but it's beyond that because it's also a freedom for Americans who are not Christians. Yeah. It's not just a Christian freedom, because if we, like you said, if we stay there, mm -hmm. th th that tidal wave, that's not a big island. Mm -hmm. We say we're 65. We're a post-Christian nation. Let's be honest. OK, so that's not a big enough conversation. It's a freedom conversation. Yeah. It's an American because on a dime, 
They'll turn on Steven Spielberg if they want to and go, now we own you. Oh, that's right, they do. And they do that to the left. They take their talent and say, you will be an abomination. You will use your gift to worship Satan. And, and so it's an anti-freedom conversation that we're having here that we, we must fight tooth and nail. They cannot tell you how to dream, how to speak, how to think, Fauci, mm -hmm. or how to use your gifts and your talents. Yeah. And I actually, I know we got to take a break, but I would just add too, um, I don't know how far everyone else is willing to go, but I think that the discrimination uh, laws that they have on the books already shouldn't exist. Like, I want to know, I want the free market to solve it. If there are a bunch of racists who don't want to serve black people, I would like to know because I would never go to that place, right? I would never support it, yeah. ever. So it, it will solve uh, we itself. Yeah, we don't need the it's big like government. like the locker room. But the players sort themselves I guess I totally out. disagree with this yeah. because we're seeing right now how it doesn't solve itself. So if you go back to like Heart of Atlanta, the case that in terms of public accommodations that actually upheld the public accommodations piece of the Civil Rights Act, which is what tells mm -hmm. individual businesses they can and cannot discriminate on the basis of race, right? They cannot discriminate on the basis of race among their customers. Before you had that public accommodations piece, even though the legal regime of segregation was dropped in the South, right, you had the so-called Green Book, right, um, where you have, and that's what, what the basis of that case, Heart of Atlanta, mm -hmm. the right to travel, all these kind of court constructions are around this idea of what happens when businesses, um, when all the businesses in a given either geographic area or in, in a given field, mm -hmm. they all have the same cultural commitments. And because of those cultural commitments, they collude economically to exclude an entire class of customers. I would argue that's what's happening with conservatives, for example, in banking, right? That it's, it's actually, today. it's yeah. quite similar um, because you don't have a technical monopoly. It's not like they're emailing each other about business decisions, right? But what they can count on is the guy at the head of Wells Fargo, the guy at the head of Bank America. They all went to the same schools. They have all the same cultural views. And so they know that if they piss off their customer base by donating to whatever, if they're doing an ad with, mm -hmm. with uh, Mulvaney, right? Dylan Mulvaney, right. Mulvaney, the way that Bud Light did, right? Um, if they do that, they can count on all the other banks to do something similar. Mm -hmm. And so that customer has nowhere to go. That, that free market mechanism that you guys are talking about where you know, the customer punishes the business right. um, by not giving business there and gives it somewhere else, that market mechanism doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's, that is the rationale for the public accommodations piece of the Civil Rights Act. I think it's a similar rationale for conservatives today in some of these, these fields. But um, I think it's, it has to be a society negotiated rule, but I think what separates the Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop case and this case about the wedding website is exactly that power of the consumer and the seller. Those um, gay couples mm -hmm. could go anywhere. anywhere. I know. But when you have a case like Heart of Atlanta or conservatives with banks, for example, where you have all of the given players colluding in a given market, right. all of a sudden that very simple mechanism, that mechanism of freedom that you're talking about, mm -hmm. Stops, stops functioning. Yeah. Uh, unless, yeah. Unless you adjudicate it and your, your rule of law actually functions as rule of law. For instance, if, a, if you qualify for a banking license because you check all the boxes, you should get a license to start a bank. But that doesn't happen. But you qualify. So now banks can rise up you can have small banks and small communities rise up and you break monopoly. We're seeing this in other nations. You can do this. You can't. It's when the rule of law doesn't function. It's when justice is unfair. It's when you stack and you have a two-party, a two-tier system. All of a sudden, you know, there's a rule book, but for you, there's favor. If, if you, Wells Fargo... Which, or, isn't which isn't really a free market. That's not a free right, market. Right. 
Right. There's Nick Vujicic. Chase Bank gives him 48 hours. He doesn't have arms and legs, and they give him 48 hours to pull his money out of the bank. That's not free market. Yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about is they do band together. They do band together against conservatism and Christianity, all under the guise that it's a free market. It's not. I would love to keep having this conversation. I personally find it fascinating, but I'm being told in my ear that we have to go to break, so we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Joe Biden is reportedly, according to a source very close to him, uh, very consumed by worries about Hunter. This is, uh, I want to quote from NBC News here. Some of Biden's most senior aides have tried in the past to discuss the various potential dynamics with the president where his son is concerned. People familiar with the discussion said, but the president's responses to these sorts of entreaties have run from defensive to outright angry, these sources said, and he resents anyone that would suggest that he distance himself from his son because of what he views as unfair and outrageous GOP attacks. I just can't imagine that he, in his heart of hearts, deems these unfair and outrageous GOP attacks when he... Sorry, but all the evidence seems to uh, suggest that he was in on all of this. So I'm not sure that he should categorize them as unfair. Um, but uh, it does seem to be unraveling all around him very quickly. We just saw news from, I believe this was the Daily Caller, that showed that uh, according to FEC records, one of the federal prosecutors involved in the investigation into Hunter Biden's uh, alleged tax fraud donated to Joe Biden's campaign, another one donated to uh, Vice President Kamala Harris when they were working in the private sector. And these were, of course, attorneys who, um, oops, dropped the ball. And I'm sure that that is not coincidental uh, one bit. By the way, I question the judgment of anyone who donated directly to Kamala Harris. Like this, uh, this wasn't the Biden-Harris campaign. That was just for Kamala. I don't I, I question I question that person's judgment entirely. But um, apparently, according to sources close to him, he is very mad. He is it's consuming him. And I think it shows if you guys saw the uh, the recent press conference. What was it a couple days ago when he was asked if he was sitting? Yeah, he was asked if he was sitting next to his son during the, the WhatsApp message uh, fiasco. And he was like, no, very angry. But you never know if it's a dementia. Uh, Look, I mean, this is obviously this is the kind of playbook you can only run when you own the media, um, which is to say nobody cares about Hunter's drug addiction. OK, we would not be talking about it right, right now um, if it weren't directly implicating Joe Biden. Right. Okay, nobody cares. Nobody's coming after his son for the sake of coming after his son. And the smokescreen of saying, oh, well, I love my son. And that's the answer. No, no, no. We want to know whether your son was peddling your influence to foreign governments to get cash. Mm -hmm. That is not something... It's kind of big deal. That, that is not something where you can respond to by saying, well, I love my son. Right. That's not what this is about. It's right. just a pure misdirection. Yeah, totally. Yeah, agree. no, 
I agree with you, but I do care about Hunter Biden because I, for the work I do, I do care about the 144 sex crimes. I do care that he lies about, you know, who he is and what he's doing, buying a weapon. I do care about those things. But the bigger question here is a president. But we're operating under the assumption that the president's even looked at the evidence. Mm. Which he hasn't. I doubt that he is even making a decision of his own, Sarah. I think he is being told, listen, Hunter is innocent. This is an attack on Hunter. He's regurgitating it. I doubt that he is at, at a cognitive level to sit down and bring advisors in and say, can you guys tell me, you know, how bad is it? Like a normal father would do and say, look, let's look at the evidence and say, son, this is not good. If you have gotten away with crime, for 40 plus years mm -hmm. in public office, why today would you operate any different? You've said it's not so, and it's been believed not to be so. Yeah, it just seems, it's like very um, incredible to me that their, their arrogance um, in, what was it, last week, right after uh, Hunter's plea deal and the, this WhatsApp message surfaced, he still shows up at a state dinner Right. With all of these diplomats. And you're like, because what? Because the charges are exactly that he was, you know, right. running around right. with foreign right. representatives right. peddling influence. Right? I know. I'm like, how, how is it? It's, you didn't think maybe you'd just stay home for this one? <laughs> well, that's, that's the it. big Why question. There's yeah. really only two with the, the evidence that's out there right now in the public. Right. Um, so nothing additional, nothing from behind the scenes. There's only two options. One is that Hunter Biden was peddling his yes. dad's influence yes. without his knowledge, yes. right? And making money off the Biden name. This yes. is a possibility, yes. it's a possibility, right? Sure. The second possibility seems more likely given this text message, given um, the, you know, 10% for the big mm -hmm. guy, all of these all things, of the right? All of the shell corporations. the shell corporations, yeah. the fact that what the other Bidens were doing, the fact that all of the Bidens other than Joe directly seem to be getting quite rich, mm -hmm. right? Um, this all points to the fact that uh, Joe Biden is involved. And in fact, it was his influence as vice president um, that, that backed this gunbit. So essentially, either all of these foreign, foreign oligarchs are stupid mm -hmm. and they were paying Hunter for his last name without knowing any of the things that if he had any real influence with his father whatsoever, they right. were paying him millions and millions of dollars. Or alternatively, they were getting something for that money in the form of influence mm -hmm. with his father. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are the two options. There's no third and option. Both. And either way, it's both at the same time. It's both at the same time. Any boy goes, my father's bigger than your dad. When you look at a guy that's so insecure, absolutely this guy spoke out of turn that's, and misrepresented yeah. his dad. We've seen times. that from the laptop. A hundred percent. I'm telling you also, his father was in on it, using yeah. his son as a, as a buffer with Burismo and all these things. No, nobody gives somebody f billions of dollars, of dollars yeah. to yep. manage in a market fund, yep. not thinking there's major, major return yeah. down the road, either influence or whatever. So I think your point is an amazing point. It's two. It's both. Yeah. And, and all the Bidens, all the Bidens, I mean, all of them have used Joe's position as an elected official, probably for decades, to gain access. Um, yeah, as it turns out, it pays to be a Biden unless you are Hunter's illegitimate child, in which right. case uh, they fight well, you tooth and nail to, to, yeah, to give you nothing, including your own family's name. All right, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back. It, it, that's another thing that pisses me off about the Biden. The Michigan House passed legislation last week that will make it a felony to cause someone to 
feel threatened. This is the hate speech House Bill 4474. Uh, this is the author of it, Representative Noah Arbit, who tweeted out, we did it. Both of my hate crime bills passed the House. Thank you to my colleagues, my legislative director uh, at the AG, and most of all to the people of Greater West Bloomfield. I promised I would get this done, and today we are one giant step forward. So uh, this is amending what they call the Ethnic Intimidation Act, and it states that a person is guilty of a hate crime if that person maliciously and intentionally intimidates another individual based wholly or in part on that person's gender identity or expression and those perceived to be in violation are guilty of a felony punishable by imprisonment of up to two years and or a fine of up to $5,000. And by the way, uh, the fine is doubled and the prison sentence can be extended if the person, if the victim is under 18 and the perpetrator is over 19 or over. Um, you know, we just talked about free speech. Mm -hmm. And you got to believe that this one is going to start making its way up the courts because I just don't find this to be constitutional at all. Am I missing something? No, you're, you're not missing anything. <laughs> um, this, this is where America is far above, I think, even Western European countries where we tend to think are, are pretty free countries. The First Amendment here is way more protective of speech yeah. even than the UK, even than France, right, um, than, than some of these countries. Uh, so they can pass laws like this. We can't. Right. Um, the Supreme Court has has uh, really carved out, even before this current uh, sort of switch in terms of, of the political views of the Supreme Court, there are really robust protections for this. Um, universities have been smacked around the courts for years already for putting forward harassment policies, much the same thing where it says, you know, basically that protected speech, if, if someone's offended subjectively by your speech, right, then that speech is harassment mm -hmm. and punishable by the university. The courts have smacked them down over and over again on those kinds of expansive policies, although I will point out that Joe Biden's administration has put in exactly those kinds of expansive harassment policies uh, as their, their uh, Title IX regs. So now you have a conflict between Supreme Court precedent and Title IX regs. Obviously, the Supreme Court precedent should win. Right. Um, but, but that's not necessarily how things shake out. But anyway, um, no, I, I think this law goes well well into protected speech, I think it will be smacked down by the courts. Hopefully you won't even have to make it up to the Supreme Court. But um, depending on on how ridiculous the, the lower courts want to be, uh, yeah. it will. It, it just it's like it's so frightening to me, though, that we are not we, but like we as a collective, the people in Michigan are electing representatives who have the audacity to even suggest this. And I'm going to go back to my point earlier. <laughs> There is a very low understanding in the American populace of what freedom is. Mm. There's not another nation on earth that has a First Amendment like we do. Nobody, not even close, not even close. People do not understand what freedom really is. And so they will elect officials. Now understand, this thing spins both ways because they will abandon you, the left, mm -hmm. as fast as they made you their champion. They will turn on you. And, and so for anybody that voted for these guys, oh, it will become your plight too. It will soon. Define for me malintent. Because malicious, if it's malicious, well, right. did, they, did they write a new definition for what they deem to be malicious? Right. No, it's arbitrary. Yeah. They can make it whatever. Oh, you looked at me wrong. Uh, your thoughts intimidated me. Mm -hmm. I could tell what you were thinking. That's where they'll go. Yeah. It gets struck down in the court 100%. It'll be short-lived, but other states will try. You'll see Colorado, California, they will push this thing. And, and it, the penny always drops back on who? The American citizen that is very flippant with that amazing right we have called the right to vote. Mm. And we handle it like it is, 
you know, like it's something of no value. It is one of the most valuable things on earth is the American right to vote and to vote justly and vote according to our value system and freedom. And they're not. Yeah. There's a civics education component of this as well to, to what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at polls with millennials and Gen Z, right, mm-hmm. um, you, you find that there's a higher and higher percentage of, um, especially among Gen Z, there's even between millennials and Gen Z, there's a huge percentage of Gen Z respondents who say it's okay to pass laws against offensive speech, right? So this is just part of our heritage, to your point, that we have not passed on in the K-12 system. Definitely the universities are hostile to it. Um, And it turns out that this experiment in ordered liberty requires an educational component. It requires the citizen to actually understand the way that the American system works, the way the Constitution works, what rights he or she has. Um, and, and frankly, the right, I blame the right for this because the right ignored education yes. for mm-hmm. 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is why we are where we are. Mm-hmm. All of these things that seem utterly ridiculous to you, and yeah. you're right, you're like, how are we even having this yeah. conversation, right? It's because the right laid down on the job, let the left completely take over the K-12 system. They've had the, edu- the higher ed system, you know, since 70 years ago when William F. Buckley wrote about, you know, God and man at Yale, right? And allowing that to happen, they thought, eh, we'll just have politics. We'll focus on tax cuts. We won't do this, right. you know. Leave this to the left. It doesn't matter. They'll grow out of it. Well, yeah. they're not growing out of it. We got to take a quick break. We'll be back. We have forfeited territory. And we forfeit territory even takes This is nice to And the latest with uh, Joe Biden, he, uh, I don't know, just walked off set while they were still filming on MSNBC. Watch. Well, and and the ones that didn't vote for your bills, but run on them. That's right. (laughs) Mr. President, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. It's a very exciting day around here. Um, (laughs) We'll have reaction and analysis to everything we just heard. She's like, oh, my God. Joe, you're not supposed to get you got to wait for the break. Yeah, I'm sorry. Has he never done this before? Are you new here? Can't remember, Sarah. He's only been doing it for 50 somebody, years. Somebody showed him an ice cream cone offset. And <laughs> he, he goes like, OK, oh, got to go. They got chocolate, chocolate chip over there. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, hey, have a great Fourth of July weekend. We'll see you all Thursday. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.